0: Hey there, Liberty listeners. Welcome to another episode of Liberty Sessions. And today we have a real treat for you guys. We have with us Mireya Ibrahim, and she is going to tell us not only her story, but I'm hoping to grab a few tips on her her healthy eating, diet, exercise habits. So we're going to squeeze some of that into this uh, episode as well. Mireya, it's so great to have you with us today. It's so great to be here, Netta. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So why don't we just get right into it, and why don't you tell us about Grow Green Industries? Sure. Well, I
1: created the product
0: line um,
1: Eat Cleaner, which most people would identify with um, after my dad was diagnosed with cancer and told to avoid raw produce because of the risk of foodborne illness. And coming from a food background, I'm a holistic nutritionist and a a trained chef. And I just thought that's insane. Um, Those are the very foods that he needs to be eating the most of. So I got to working with him to develop our line of products. And after two and a half years of testing different formulas, you know, we wanted to make sure that it would be safe, that it would be lab proven, because my dad's a scientist. So it had to be lab validated. And, You know, for me, I wanted to make sure that it wouldn't alter the flavor of your food or, you know, make your carrots taste like grapefruit. (laughs) Sure.
0: We don't no one wants that. Yeah.
1: (laughs) And leave an aftertaste on your foods. So um that was really important to me. And being uh kind of a tree hugger growing up in Colorado, I thought, wouldn't it be great if we could help prevent food waste? Because it's one of the big issues with people eating fresh produce. So fast forward two and a half years later. And we created the only patented, all-natural line of lab-proven wash and wipes that helps to remove up to 99.99% of the wax, pesticide, residue, and bacteria from your fresh produce. But it also helps it last up to five times longer. Which is So awesome. it's really a no-brainer for yeah. people that are trying to eat better.
0: So can you, because we've got people listening, they're driving in their cars, they're, you know in pickup lines for their kids or at the grocery store or however they listen to their podcast, can you describe uh, the line of products? So when we talk about Grow Green products, give us a a sense of what some of those products actually are. So one is the spray that you were describing, correct? Yes. so So
1: you'll find in our lineup our spray, which is sort of our anchor product. And you literally just mist it all over your fresh produce, let it sit for two minutes, and give it a quick rinse and the product does the work for you. It doesn't alter the flavor of your produce. Um, If anything, it enhances it, takes the junk off, which you'd be surprised when you remove the wax and the other residue, how much better your produce tastes. Well, and
0: I was shocked. I was watching some of the video, the little video clips that you have on Instagram, that that, what I thought was almost like a—it almost looks like a frost, um, like like something you need to defrost off your grapes. And you said right. that's a fungus or a mold.
1: Yes, so that's a natural mold that shows up on your produce. You'll see it on blueberries and on grapes, uh-huh. and it's not that it's necessarily harmful, but it's but not the problem, good for us. It doesn't matter. It's have not any, great. Okay. It's, no, okay. it's and it's not great tasting. It actually uh-huh. imparts a flavor. Um, what you sometimes can see too is wax and. Nowadays, we're seeing about 80% of our produce is waxed yeah. and wax can seal harmful residue under the surface. And there's no m- amount of rinsing with water that's going to remove that wax. You can't even get rid of it with hot water or boiling water. So it's not necessarily that.
0: the wax itself that's bad, or it's not only the wax itself that's not good for us, but it's what it seals between the skin of the fruit or vegetable and the wax that you're also trying to remove.
1: Yeah, it's really both, too, because Uh generally they use fungicides to stabilize the wax. So you're getting a dose of pesticide residue under the surface and then fungicides in the wax itself. So it's best to remove it, best to get rid of that so you can clean and then also clean bacteria properly. And the fact is, you know, whether it's organic or conventionally grown, you're seeing pesticides, you're seeing bacteria, you're seeing... Handling residue, fertilizers, manure, and all of the other, you know, potentially, you know, life-threatening right. uh, ways that bacteria can be transferred to your and, food.
0: And and in providing the wipes, now you've got this very uh, easy way. This this you know for us to sort of carry it in our pocket, take it to work with us. The kids can take yeah. it to school. Yeah,
1: exactly. So with the spray, just to back up for a second, yeah. with the spray. We recommend that to clean anything that's leafy. So leafy greens, you can get into the crevices. You can use it to clean berries. You can use it to clean anything with a firm flesh. I mean, pretty much anything across the produce category. Right. With the wipes, we recommend using those on something that has a firm flesh. So if you're grabbing an apple or a pear or even an orange, we recommend cleaning the surface before you peel it because... Imagine you're then touching the outside and then transferring That's right. bacteria and whatever to the inside of the fruit. So we do recommend you use the wipes to clean anything with a firm surface, and those are great for on-the-go. And that is a biodegradable cloth. So everything we create, we really try and honor the environment so that it's reusable, recyclable, or biodegradable. That's awesome. And then. And then our newest product, which we're super excited about, is our powder wash. I was and hoping comes- you would talk
0: about it because I just I was watching love, the video of it. Yeah. I
1: love this product so much because we are big meal preppers. Mm-hmm. Um, and a big part of my philosophy and what I write about in my book is meal prepping, getting your food prepped in advance so it's ready when you are. And we created kind of what I call our, our DIY pre-washed produce kit. So instead of buying the expensive pre-washed Produce, you can make it yourself and save so much money and make sure it's a whole heck of a lot cleaner. Sure. Um, And that powder wash one packet can clean, clean up to 30 pounds of produce. Wow. So it's very cost effective. It helps your produce last up to five times longer. And you literally just dispense one packet into a gallon of cold water. You can use our reusable bags to... Um, to put your produce in and then soak it in the solution. It's only a thirty second soak, so we really improved the time um, between our spray and our powder. Mm-hmm. And you can reuse that tank up to three times. So literally, soak, take it out, air dry it, and then stick it in your fridge, and it will help it last so much longer. And it's ready to eat when you are. And, Which uh, for all the busy parents out there, I mean, yeah. what a godsend! You, well, you're that getting and your I was just thinking.
0: You and I are both in California, and we know this, you know, drought that we've come out of, and the fact that you're soaking versus running water through the vegetables in a colander, exactly. which is what I exactly. often do, and I'm not yeah, getting off that r- with residue. With our product,
1: you're using about an eighth of the yeah. amount of water that you would normally use. And, you know, the CDC recommends you run your produce under the sink for 30 seconds. That's a whole heck of a lot of water.
0: Yeah, it is. Okay. Lest we have our um, listeners thinking this is an infomercial because I happen to be a little excited about your products. Um, <laughs> why don't we get into how How does one do this? How does one, so your, your dad is diagnosed with cancer. Mm-hmm. He's told that he shouldn't be eating these uh, fresh vegetables and fruits because of any bacteria they might um, uh, have, or, or he might ingest, you step in and say, wait a minute, I'm a foodie. I'm a fitness person. I've got this background, this education, I know better. And then how do you get from that situation and that information and knowing better to actually doing better and creating uh-huh. a product? Give us that wow. story.
1: Um, that is such, that's such a fantastic question. It's probably the best question I've ever been asked in an interview and probably, um, I'm going to answer in a recipe format. Okay. So it's one part passion, one part blind faith, and one part grit. Mm. And you know, when you when you know that there's a need out there and you haven't seen anything in the market that you believe is doing what your goal is, you start to ask a lot of questions and you start to do a lot of research. And I spent countless nights you know, while holding a a stable corporate job, I called it the second shift. I get home, um, you know, I'm a single mom and I was a single mom when I started my company and I would literally get the kids into bed and start the second shift at about 10 at night and work till two in the morning doing my research and finding, you know, how I could formulate this product with my father, how we could manufacture it. What does packaging look like? How do we price it? What other competitive products are in the market? How do we position it from a marketing perspective? All of that due diligence that, you know, just from my my corporate world real life experience, I knew that I had to have in, in order, have my ducks in a row. Sure. So, um, you know, and then I did that on the side while I was working. Um and once I felt that I could kind of tip and go, you know, I've started doing it. I didn't pay myself a salary for three and a half years. I just kind of used my savings from, you know, what I had uh, saved up from my prior work and went to town. And we, you know, we did, have you ever seen the movie Joy?
0: Oh, yeah. Every entrepreneur has seen the movie Joy. Come on, ladies.
1: I (laughs) kind of feel like I was like Joy, you know, like in the in the parking lot
0: of grocery stores, you know, <laughs> yeah. with my hood open yeah. try, or
1: my trunk open trying to yeah. sell a petal product out of the back.
0: Yeah. Like you um, could have would, been arrested for drugs <laughs> had they not known what was inside. It's all probably, a little suspect. Probably. Yeah.
1: Um, you know, we'd go, we'd show up at events, any friends that would allow me to pass out samples at, you know, their conferences or at their gyms um, in goodie bags. We would take every opportunity to do that you know, we, we've we really built a business based on a lot of word of mouth and virality. Mm-hmm. And we live in an age of social media, which has given us so many gifts. Um, and we really leverage that because a lot of people do, you know, they do want to share because they're so blown away by the results that they're getting. And, you know, I, I think you've got to have a passion for it. You've got to Put in the out. There's no such thing as an overnight success. I don't care what anybody says. I've never met anybody that had something that really meant something that had, you know, substance behind it that didn't just put a lot of hard work and elbow grease into it to get it. To fly.
0: That's right. Um, That's and, right. We and the a, ones one that a,
1: do, it's just, it's total blind luck, you know, and that just doesn't happen to normal people.
0: Well, even time. in blind luck, you've got to keep it floating. You've got to keep whatever that great idea is or was, you know, moving forward in order for it to be a success. And it takes a lot of work to keep things afloat. Um, it's not Definitely. like once the audience, you know, grabs onto this idea or latches onto this idea. It's not over. In fact, sometimes just beginning.
1: So exactly
0: the, the, what's interesting to me is the passion sounded like it was initially, I'm going to help my father. I'm going to, I I Mm -hmm. want him to be healthy. And in order to get him healthy, I'm motivated to help find a solution. And then it sounds like the passion became your own and you Saw the opportunity here, whether it's to help other people, whether it's to work for yourself. and And so, I guess my question is, what is that? When did you say, Wait a minute, I may actually leave whatever I was doing, which I want to ask that question too. but that that first shift, as you called it, um, and and take this second shift and make it full time. Yeah. What, what was what did the what happened there? Was that after the three and a half years of not paying yourself and being able to pay yourself because even when you can pay yourself it's not often a full-time salary so right where was that well, transition? I, think,
1: I think it was two you know it was two big motivating factors, definitely my father, but also my kids. Mm. and the more I researched, the more I found that you know over sixty percent of the population is immune compromised or considered high risk, and children fall into that category. Um, Pregnant women fall into that category. The elderly fall into that category. And also people with autoimmune uh, disorders and disease like my father. And I had a four-year-old at the time and had my son who was, you know, a newborn, really. I mean, literally, my dad got diagnosed with cancer and I had my son a week later. Wow. So, you know, I looked at them and I thought, you know, if it can affect my father and he's compromised now, well, so are my children. Mm-hmm. And how do I take care of them the best that I can as a mom? And I think for all the moms out there, I think, you know, you can relate to this. You, you, you protect your, your cubs with a fierceness that you didn't mm-hmm. even know you had in you. Yeah. And so I, you know, coming from a natural products background, it was already in me, but the research just fueled my fire. And so um, you know, I was looking at what I was doing. I didn't necessarily feel that the work that I was doing was changing lives or or giving people, you know, a newfound sense of health and hope. And so once I started really getting into it and seeing what the opportunity was and seeing how it made me feel, yeah, I was just, I was so energized, you know, like that second shift was like my power time. Um, I isn't felt that funny so, that you had
0: so much energy for that 10 to two window
1: Completely, probably were dragging I
0: mean, through the first shift? Oh um, yeah. I mean, I was, get, I was getting, I was getting by
1: on a few hours of sleep a night and I wouldn't recommend yeah. that as a long-term yeah. <laughs> strategy, but <laughs> you know, it was, it was definitely, you know, it was getting me to a place where I was like, okay, there's, there's something here. And, you know, I don't know you know, if people listening, you know, can relate to this, but I believe in divine intervention. I believe mm-hmm. that, you know, I was tapped on the shoulder, so to speak. And, um, you know, I kept, I kept thinking, can I really do this? Can I really do this? And it, the crazy thing is, is I didn't have any fear. I, and again, that's kind of that blind faith thing, but I had no fear that I might fail. Is, it, just, is that
0: because you didn't think you had anything to lose? Is it sort of like, I had a lot to lose. Okay. So to, I, want, I want to, I want to pa- unpack that a little bit because I just had a meeting with somebody this morning. It was a client meeting and she was talking about fear. And I said, I want you to just shift it into what is it that you have to lose? Like, what are you really afraid of? Mm-hmm. And is it ego? Is it this? Like What did you have to lose? And what did you have to gain? And why the no fear? And And is this part of who you are? Like, are you generally not fearful? Are you generally a risk taker? Because we're going to have people listening that identify with that in you. And we're going to mm-hmm. have people listening that said, I'm nothing like Maria. I'm, I live in fear. So unpack that a little bit for us. Yeah. I
1: dabbled in the world of entrepreneur- entrepreneurial life, I guess you could say, uh-huh. um, when I was in college. And I used to... I used to take vintage fabric, I cut it up and make hats out of them. And Mm -hmm. I paid for my college tuition doing that. Um, So it was in the recesses of my experience. But then, you know, I come from immigrant parents who were like, you know, you go and you get your education and you get a stable job. And, you know, you don't do anything that might be risky. And, you know, you, you go that route because you've worked for that. And so I left that behind, you know, I, I, I went to work and I had the stable jobs and I worked my way up the ladder and I held the VP position, you know, within a big agency and I accomplished all that. And, you know, I had stock options. I had benefits. I was a single mom, you know, trying to take care of two kids and juggle everything. And I, um, I felt like I had a lot to lose, but it's this, it's this nagging And I, I know it sounds negative, but it's not, it was almost like it was waking me up at night from excitement. It was, it was getting my creative juices going in a way that I hadn't felt in a long time. Yeah. It
0: had its hooks in you. I know exactly what you're talking about.
1: Yeah. And I think that, but that's when I think, you know, in your heart, there's something there, you know, you can, you can start something and you can view it as a hobby, Or you can say, I I need to make this work because I have a lot riding on it. And I did. I had a lot riding on it. I had, you know, my own feeling that I needed to make it successful. But I also had put my a lot of my life savings into it. You know, so I guess there's part of you that says I could lose that, and there's the financial implications. But more than anything, I just wanted to make it successful because I really believe in what we're doing. And I believe that we have a solution that can help everybody.
0: Um, Well, it sounds like it. I think that's part of why it's so easy to get excited about. It's not something that we have easy access to, meaning I don't see a lot of this in the marketplace. And if it is there, you wonder what chemicals are in there that are taking away the bacteria. What am I trading off? So you obviously were hitting a nerve.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, one, there was a, an incident that happened. Um, I went to drop my son off at daycare. And this was like in the first maybe year that we were getting started. Dropped him off at daycare. And, um, one of the daycare workers, I was wearing one of our shirts and it says, think before you bite and our logo on it. And she asked me what it was and what I did. And I explained it to her and she started crying. And she explained to me that her daughter had gotten um, a horrible case of foodborne illness at a restaurant mm-hmm. and went from being a track star to being paralyzed from the waist <gasps> down and that mm-hmm. she was in a wheelchair and that it had basically, you know, it had altered their lives, not just physically, but emotionally, mentally, you know, it had held them in the legal system for a couple of years. And she actually won one of the largest cases ever in history um, against a restaurant where a case of foodborne illness had been contracted. But at what cost? You know, um, yeah. this young woman's life was going to be altered forever. And she said to me, I wish your product was available when my daughter got sick. Oh I wish gosh. every restaurant would use something like this and I just I, I it almost m- makes me want to cry now. Yeah. I will never forget that story. I'll never forget that situation. And every time I hear people say, you know, you your product changed how I eat or it, you know, has helped us really embrace this lifestyle. You know, beyond even just getting sick from foodborne illness, it just you know, it's that little, just that little boost when you're feeling like, huh, oh, am I doing this all for, you know, for nothing? It's just that little boost that keeps you going. And I think it's really important to celebrate those little wins along the way.
0: And I was, I was noting again, in kind of preparing for our interview, I was like, oh, the act of the spray or the wipe or the bag makes you conscious about what, in, what you're putting in your body. And when, when that's sort of turned on, you're just going to eat better. You're just naturally going to eat better. So it almost becomes this like mental game that the product, in, in a good way, that the product sort of ignites, right? It's like Definitely. you're doing something good, but it also just takes you into that. It's almost like putting on workout gear just makes you want to work out. It's like you just put it on because you're more likely to to at some point in the day do something. It well, feels yeah. I like mean, that. it's
1: it's it's a system, and and we're helping to create a habit. Yeah. So just like anything, when you get into a habit, you know, you schedule your workouts, you start to eat better. Well, what helps you eat really better? I mean, you could be paleo, you could be keto, you could be a vegan, you could be vegetarian. It doesn't mean that you're eating well. That's right. You know, it's just a label but if you're filling half your plate with fresh produce you're doing a lot of leafy greens and you know low glycemic you know fruit you are really changing your chemistry you're preventing disease you're affecting your dna in generations to come so it's it's really impactful yeah. when you start thinking about how food becomes your medicine and this is a system that's getting you to prioritize it and to do it Really cost effectively because the number one, the number one reason we learned um, why people don't buy fresh produce is because they don't like wasting it. They don't like throwing it out. So you know if we if we can address that and make it more available, then we feel like we've we've got a win
0: win. Sure, you're getting us halfway there. So okay, you're armed with this passion. You're armed with this belief. This sort of divine, uh, tap and, um, the story of your father, the story of your son, the, you know, and, and just your, both your kids actually, and this woman telling you her story and you've got the food again, background. Now you're an inventor. You're sitting down and saying, I'm going to create this thing and patent it, which is no small task. <laughs> so what's the first thing you do? Do you Google patent? VegetableCleaner.com. Like, where do where do you go? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, after we
1: got the initial setup, um, and you know, part of this was talking to friends and people in the industry. Sure. Um, I did a lot of networking on LinkedIn uh, to find people that could help me with answering different questions about, you know, creating a product and patenting it. Um, I found a good patent attorney through a friend of mine who had used them. Uh, They're local to me in Southern California, and we, you know, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of back and forth. Um, For anybody that's ever tried to patent a product, it can take anywhere from, you know, a year, a minimum, you know, and nothing ever takes a year, to three years to patent. Uh, Ours took 18 months, which was relatively quick. Um, and a lot of that is just really finding a good patent attorney that can help you write the me. patent the right. way that it can be enforced. Um, and yeah. we did that in addition to trademarking, in addition to, you know, just simply securing the URL, which we own, eatcleaner.com, which is a great property. Um, and, you know, being able to secure your intellectual property in addition to um, creating a unique Design for the product, which was a task in and of itself, the actual packaging and label mm-hmm. design and logo design, you know, that, that all took a lot of research and a lot of development. I mean, I would say probably almost two years on the front end of just getting the, the packaging and the, the logo.
0: So let me ask you a question about the, the patenting in particular, because a lot of people assume that they need to patent whatever it is. And there are things that you want to patent and there's thing, there are things that you don't really need to worry about, uh, patenting by the time you get the patent out, somebody's going to have created it and you may have lost that window. In your case, it was vital. It's vital to the brand. It's vital to the product. It's a, it's something that you're, um, Putting out as safe food, it's edible. I mean, there's there's so there's so much to it that has to be right. vetted and legally um, binding. Um, were you? So the first question is: Were you selling any product before? Um, I mean, as a patent pending um, item, were you able to sell that in that eighteen month window, or did you wait until the eighteen month window? Um, was over. That's one question. And then the second question is, what What do you have to say for those people who want to go through the patenting process? Um, you know, heads up on this. Don't worry about this. Um, really make sure you're in for the long haul on on this. Like, what are what's what are some bits of advice that you might want to share based on your experience?
1: Yeah. So let me answer your, uh, your first question. We did sell the product as a patent pending. Um, and we did put that on the label that it was patent pending. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, for us, it's a process patent. So you can't, there are a lot of products that you can't patent. That's right. Um, a lot of, you know, you can't patent a recipe, for example. You can't patent, um, an idea without having like a specific design to it that can be patentable. So first of all, you have to determine whether or not your idea can be patented and that can be done very easily by talking to a patent attorney. Um, For us, it was the process and um, our process is about yielding an effective and clear solution. So when you look at our product, it's perfectly clear. Uh, And then we filed an extension after that um for our powder and our other formulations. So we have you know we we did have the ability to patent the product because of the process. Um not you know if you do have a product or an idea that can be patented, you do have to determine if you want that patented because in a way you're sort of putting out what you're doing. To the public. I mean, anybody can look up a patent and see, generally speaking, what the formulation is. Um, We did it because we felt like we needed to, both from an IP standpoint and the value of that IP to the nature of our product. But you may want to just have a product that's a trade secret, you know, um, the way it's created. Ends up being um, something that is still, you know, it's proprietary, but it's not necessarily out there for public knowledge or public information. Um, and I is think that, that possible you know, really with it's,
0: food, with something that you're consuming. Is it possible to have something that's a that's a, a secret, a trade secret? If people are yes, I mean,
1: Coca Cola okay. was a trade secret. That's true. Yeah.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. Which is shocking, actually.
1: Yeah. So, you know, like I said, a recipe can't be patented. It's usually when it comes to a food item or something that's applied to food, it's generally a process, um, or a design or a utility patent. So it's usually best to just speak to a reputable patent attorney and determine if, you know, if that is something that's needed. Um, you know, when it comes to something that's more of a design, yeah, it's usually a good idea, like, um, you know, something that's mechanical or something that is a unique uh, approach that could be potentially duplicated. You know, maybe it's a unique idea, but it's not as though somebody couldn't take that idea and then, you know, re-engineer it. Slightly or, or kind of, you know, look at it and say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to figure out how to do that and then make my own variation. Um, in those cases, you know, I think sometimes it is really important to do that. And you have to think about what that value of your IP would mean for your brand and your company. For us, that was very important. We wanted to be able to have that as that, you know, sort of, um, while it's hard to put a value on it, there is there is a way to value it and it becomes part of what makes us distinguished. We're the only patented produce wash on the
0: market. That's amazing. I I, um, I mean, I, there aren't very many on the market, so um, that I, I guess that makes sense, but it's sort of surprising to me when you share with us what you have in terms of your line of products. It's like, really? this There aren't more of these? This, no one else <laughs> thought of this? Like, it's it makes so much sense. The other thing, though, is you just told us the story of 18 months, two years, sometimes three years, that it can take somebody to go through that process. So you understand why some brands don't do it for whatever reason. They're trying to get to market really fast or they want to mess with the formula. And so, they, they don't go through the patenting process until they feel like they figured it out, which might mean that they're putting out a product that's um, that hasn't been perfected. Um, or it's a trend product. They're not really counting on being there for the long haul, so why go through the process? I mean, I'm sure there's a million reasons. But True. if I'm a if I'm a consumer, or in this case, as a consumer, I'm going to choose the product that has gone through that because that tells me this company is not only here to stay, but this company is committed to the process. Um, I agree. I I mean, I think
1: there's, you know, there's that intangible in a way that we've gone through the due diligence. You know, if there was prior art or somebody that had tried to do it like us, In the past, you know, we wouldn't have been able to obtain our patents. So, you know, that a company or a product that has been patented has something that's truly unique that no one else has done before. um, Because, you know, they just wouldn't have been able to go through the process otherwise. And they have the data and the support to back their claims up. So, you know, I, I do. I think, I don't think we look at that as much as maybe products in the past or, you know, inventions or proprietary, you know, innovations. I don't think as consumers, people look at it like they used to. But for us, it was critical. It was definitely something that we knew that we had to do in order to gain credibility early on.
0: Sure. And you can use it as a marketing tool. If the consumer isn't looking for it, but you tell them about it, then you've all of a sudden you start to educate them on Oh, I guess I should be looking for this in other products. You know, it's like exactly. it becomes part of your story. So exactly. I want to I want to jump to something that I think a lot of people um, t- they pause when they consider working with family. And you were working with your dad, and it's clear that he uh, is so important to you, and um, and that that was an exciting thing to do especially in light of it was prompted by his own health but what was it really like <laughs> to work with a family <laughs> member and um yeah what what was what was that process like
1: yeah well ironically
0: today is his birthday too oh, so shout out birthday. to daddy it's my uh, <laughs> mom's birthday too that's so funny <laughs> um so
1: interesting you know let me start by saying I was not <laughs> the easiest teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, very strong-willed, very tough to rationalize with, hard-headed. One might say, um, "My dad's going to love that I'm going on and on about <laughs> this too." Um, and so, when when it came time for us to, you know, to create this, I mean, I I esteem my father so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is a brilliant man, extremely modest but extremely methodical to the point where sometimes it's analysis paralysis. Sure. But you know, I kind of had in the back of my mind how difficult I was to him uh, back in the teen years. So <laughs> I, I put my modest hat on That's and right. just became very humble and let him really lead me on this and you know, I, I believe wholeheartedly, you know, you, you need to know your place when it comes to family. And if somebody holds the the keys to the kingdom in terms of knowledge, you let them lead the dance. And so I did, I let him lead the dance from a science perspective, even though the, the, the methodology and the meticulous nature of lab validation just drove me absolutely up the wall. I mean, I was like, I'm a marketing person. I throw things against the wall. I get in the kitchen. I make a mess. You know, yeah,
0: <laughs> you don't I do, do that yes. in the
1: science world. You're yeah. very, you know, you have to do repetition and um, and measure things and write things down. And that's just not my style. So practicing patience, practicing uh, putting your ego, checking it out the door, um, maybe just breathing a lot and, you know, Um, being open and not having to force your opinion, I think is really important. And, you know, my dad let me lead on other things that I was more, you know, skilled at. The actual, you know, taste and efficacy of how the product would work on produce was really important to me. Um, it was really important that we didn't use alcohol or anything that would be on the no fly zone list for, the natural retailers that we wanted to work with, you know, in those cases, I got to weigh in. And, uh, I think what it did is it, it really bonded us and it was, you know, after his, his cancer recovery, which, you know, was very sudden and very, you know, devastating. I mean, he had his bladder removed, you know, he uses a catheter every day. And I just, I think it gave me, it gave me so much grace in, in, being patient and uh, understanding his situation. And um, and I think it really changed my character in a lot of ways. So it's a learning opportunity. I think we learn the most from the the situations that we can't control. Sure. And I let my dad take that control when I tend to be a control freak.
0: Well, what a cool way to honor him. And um, what a cool thing for your kids to have witnessed, um, because Definitely. I, I'm always aware of uh, my turn is coming too, um, where they're where they're going to see me as, you know, the the elderly parent and, uh, how, how is this relationship going to continue to move on and what shape is it going to take? So that's, that's very cool, uh, uh, that they got to see that and you got to, to share that with him. Now, in and they're a,
1: bit, they're a big part of the process. You know, they, they've been there since day one. Um, I think they've seen how it's grown and they've seen how it's evolved and they've gone to events and, you know it's very much a family affair and they identify themselves with that and i think that's really important too as a cool. a learning lesson i yeah. you know our kids benefit so much when we give them opportunities to own something and Absolutely. to grow and you know it's not it's not a burden i i actually asked them and they have loved the opportunities when they get to be a part of it and get to go to events and hear from their friends. Oh, I saw your mom's product, you know, in the <laughs> store. You know, there's a great sense of pride there. So I, I feel like that separation shouldn't be a separation of church and state. You should bring your kids and your family into it and let them be a part of the process. Yeah,
0: I love that. I love that. Maria, you've talked a lot and made reference to the first job, the corporate job, the the first shift job. Uh, can you tell us what that was and how did that uh, that experience inform your work now as an entrepreneur?
1: Sure. You know, I've I've touched many different aspects of food, and I determined early on that I didn't necessarily want to spend my time in a a restaurant, traditional, you know, chef would say, I want to work in a restaurant. And I did that for a brief period of time. And I learned very quickly, that was not going to be a sustainable lifestyle for me. So after, you know, working in kitchens and working um, in catering, I shifted over to marketing um, and writing, which are two huge passions for mine. And kind of fast forward, you know, working through natural products stores retail locations um writing for magazines and newsletters and editing um i the last position that i held before i started my company was as vice president of client services for an event marketing agency working for working with large brands so large brands were my clients and we would execute retail events we would do large-scale festivals um, always touching the world of food, though. My clients have always been food or I've done marketing for food companies or have written about food. So it's always been my my language, my love language and my work. And um, I still use so many of the skills that I cultivated, you know, in that 20-year, 20 25-year career. Um
0: well, the writing, and, obviously, and the marketing, as you talked about, and the organizational planning, all of that is part of being an entrepreneur, regardless of what you do. And then the fact that you come armed with all this food history informs the products that you're creating now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, something as, you know, seemingly trivial as being, to put, being able to put together a presentation to yeah. take into a retailer. You know, those, those are the types of skills that I was able to transport very easily You know, and then there were a lot of skills that I didn't have that I, you know, learned from other people and or educated myself on. And I think that's where knowing what you are good at and knowing where you need to improve are really important as an entrepreneur and not having, you know, any ego or issue with that, you know, where nobody knows everything. And it's it's important to focus on your strengths and surround yourself with people who bring the other skills to the table.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I I like to say, find out what you suck at (laughs) and (laughs) fill in the blanks because you need those people around you. So I want to transition us into the part where we really um, pick your brain and find out kind of how do we, the listener, um, do what we need to do to advance our, our, our venture. And we talked a little bit, I cheated a little bit and I, I asked the question about um, pursuing the patent. And so I'm going to jump into, to another question, but education is a big part of what your. What you're doing, it's not just selling the product, but it's telling us how we should clean our food, why we should clean our food. Again, as um, I brought up earlier, I think just setting the tone for being conscientious about what we're eating, what we're putting in our bodies. Um, how have you used education as actually a marketing tool? Because it seems like that—that that is probably uh, one of your biggest marketing vehicles. Mm-hmm.
1: So, you know, education for me is about show and tell. And when you have a product or an idea that is very visual, it lends itself so beautifully. And the way we process information, I mean, we have to understand that nobody has time for long, lengthy Mm -hmm. explanations. People want information quickly. They want to get a story from, you know, either a quick video or an image or, you know, maybe, you know, quick Facebook live or Instagram live or some kind of post where they can get the information, process it and move on. And you can get a call to action in there. And I found that, you know, that's really what's created that, that share response from people is they see it. You know, they see the difference in the broccoli. They see the difference when the wax comes off. They, they see the difference when strawberries last 14 days. It's, it's there. It's, it's factual. Um, so we rely on that a lot. We rely on the visual story a lot to transmit our message. And then we ask people to share that. And what we, you know, what we find is in this era of sharing, people do want to share important things, then they want to feel like they are sharing something that they have discovered with their friends and family. And we get a lot of that, you know, they they're the first to know. And when you know better, you do better. So, you know, and we encourage them to help people around them, because it makes us all better. So that that to me is the biggest part of education, I think, you know, and that was the big difference between my dad and I, my dad, you know, in order to educate, would do long, you know, sessions and would write research papers and thesis and papers and um all kinds of things to transmit that information. And that's not really that doesn't work with consumers. It's gotta be quick, hit, in and out, and yeah. get me to where you want me to go.
0: Yeah, it um, has its place, so, but not you're ex- you're exactly right. Not with consumers. Not for us. Yeah, yeah not yeah. for us.
1: So, you know, find what your best show and tell is. Um, and you know, that can be in the form of a, an image or in the form of a short blog or a story or a video or all of the above.
0: I love that. I, uh, that's definitely a soundbite that we're going to take away from this, this show and tell concept. And I think one of the things you said is equip your consumer, your, your viewer, your reader, your listener, equip them with a way to be a mouthpiece for you to, sh- to yes. show and tell on your behalf. And so Definitely. it's not just telling your story, but it's it's giving it or telling it in such a way that somebody can take it, make it their own and share it, which I think is brilliant um, and a great takeaway for so many people um, who are doing so many different kinds of things and pursuing so many different ventures. So, Yeah, I
1: mean, we we want to share
0: that. you know. Yeah. I think
1: when I, I mean, I also on uh, Eat Cleaner, on our Facebook and our Instagram, I love to share other people's products. You know, yeah. the, many times I'll post something about things that I found that I love. And people appreciate that too. It's not just about what we do. It's about the whole clean eating lifestyle.
0: Well, then you become how, an authority, right? You further Im- like embed yourself as the go-to person for them, not just for this, but for so many other things. Totally, yep. I love that. Okay, so the viral thing is a, is a big it's kind of a through line uh, for you guys we've we talked about it with the way you handed out the product early on we're talking about it now with the way you educate and help other people become educators for you and even in your affiliate program the fact that you have an affiliate program is has that continued um, viral through line in it that you're giving us uh, consumers other brands um, companies the ability to share this product. Why did you think that was really important? Um, why did you say, okay, we need to create this affiliate program versus I'm going to spend energy just trying to get us in every, you know, health food store? What, not that you weren't doing both, but what was it about the affiliate program that became really important for you? And how do you advise a listener to say yes to creating an affiliate program or no, this perhaps might not be for you? Mm-hmm.
1: So with a product like ours, it's not as though you're going into the store and you're deciding which beverage you want to drink or which chip you want to buy. You know, it's it's really a new category. And it's almost as though, you know, if you didn't know you needed it, you wouldn't look for it. So a little bit different in approach where, you know, I I could have focused on just getting into retail. But then the problem is, how do people find us and what do they do with it? So I knew just sheerly based on the nature of the product and the requirement almost of showing people how to use it and the why that I needed that type of network of peer-to-peer selling because it wasn't going to be successful in a retail situation without it. They were just going to look at us as another expensive, quote, expensive wash. And there's a lot of bad press out there about using produce washes for some crazy reason I think it's probably because none of the others have any data or, you know, kind of proof of the pudding to show that they work. So they've gotten a bad rap. So we needed to kind of, you know, wipe the slate clean and show people the why and the how and then encourage them to share that. So we felt, you know, primarily because of the nature of the product that we needed to do that. And also it's a really effective, inexpensive way to get, you know, more uh, eyes and ears You know, if, if I'm incentivizing you to then share it because I'm giving you a nice percentage of, of sales, you know, you, we build an army of people. It's a tribe that's selling and it's not even selling, it's educating versus, you know, if I go to a retailer and say, take my product in and, you know, I don't help support that it's, they're going to make me take my product back. You know, that's only going to live on the shelf for a certain period of time before there's no movement. So you you have to do that in order to even get your product on the shelf. They need to make sure that it's moving and that there are enough eyeballs and and you know pockets being open to actually purchase the product.
0: And how do you um recommend we uh quantify the amount that we should give to our affiliates so you don't have to I'm not asking for the details of what you give people can go on and 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 try and become an affiliate with you and figure all that out but just is there sort of a formula that you say okay if I were wholesaling this to a retailer I would be taking this cut and they would be getting this discount um, For mm-hmm. retailing, and so I'm going to use that formula, or I'm going to use a portion of that formula. H- how did you come up with what was a fair amount? And and yeah. is it just a balance of what's what's going to incentivize somebody to do something and to sell my product and 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 move move stuff off of their shelf? Yeah,
1: definitely. It's it's um, it's an important consideration, and there's a couple of big factors that people need to keep in mind. One is, you know, what is your, what is your margin on your product? You know, some products have significant margins, some do not. So understanding your own margin, what you're able to give up in order to drive a sale or a repeat sale, you know, and then that's the second part is, do you have a product that you're, you know, selling one and done, or is it something that potentially people are going to be buying multiple times a, a week or a month or a year? So, you know, what does that acquisition cost look like for you? And then the third piece is, you know, for us to get into retail, we have to pay uh, usually a distributor. And then usually the retailer wants to take a margin. And then by the time we're done, we get like a really, really little piece of that. So Mm -hmm. just thinking, you know, if I, instead of giving up maybe 40 points or even 50 points in some cases, well, I'll give up 25 points, which is what we give to our affiliates. We give them 25% commission. And then that way, people are really happy because they're making 25%, which is awesome. And we're really happy because that's pretty much half of what we would be paying um, to get into regular retail distribution. And that has proven to be successful for us. But for every, you know, there are different considerations for everyone sure. and you have to balance all those pieces out to find the number that makes sense for you.
0: So it sounds like the the two big takeaways are really identify and understand what your margin is and, and what you have room for, what you have margin for in your margin. And then to to understand the the number um, or the range that's going to incent people uh to sell for you and to point their consumer into that direction.
1: Definitely. I mean, I've seen products that offer 50%, but they're really, they're high ticket items. Uh, Maybe somebody is selling a seminar or they're selling a, um, you know, an exercise program and you're not going to buy that more than once. That's right. So, you know, what, what can you give that you feel good about and you, you know, you can still be profitable um, with, and you get other people really excited to sell something because if I'm trying to sell something that's 500 versus. You know, fifty. It looks very different.
0: That's right, and like you said, with the seminar example, um, the margin there is huge. Um, that yep. person is taking you know time and in writing and and energy, but it's one time, and then it's duplicated. So ev- any fifty percent they're bringing in is something that wouldn't have come in otherwise, and they can they can afford that. Um, exactly. Okay, so let me um, get into. I don't know if. If uh, our listeners are aware of not only are you an inventor, CEO and founder, but you're also a television chef and you've you talked about one book that you've authored, but you've authored multiple books. um, And we're going to have all of those in the show notes so you guys can check out Maria's books and go buy them. Um, The Clean Eating Handbook, 31 Essential Rules to Health wellness and a fabulously fit life. And then you have the real dish book that's set to release in early 2019. How do you advise somebody when it's time to stay focused on one thing and when it's, (laughs) when it's time to expand their role within the company, um, or even outside of the company, like, you know, starting some other, um, vertical, you know, product or service or just a role, another role they're taking within the company? What is the cautionary tale you want to leave us with on this? I'm cracking
1: up right now because my business advisor would say, don't ask her that question. She's not a good model of it at (laughs) all.
0: That's exactly why we should ask you, because I think if you're entrepreneurial, and for the most part, that's who's listening to this podcast. You are that kind of person. I know yeah. that for me, when somebody tells me to focus, I'm like, I am focused. I'm serving the same woman. And they're like, that's 50% of the population. Like, we, you, haven't, you haven't really dissected exactly who that is or exactly what you're doing or the way you're serving them. I'm like, but there's so many ways you can serve this person but there is a time to focus. There is there is a season where it's really required to be laser focused and there's and then there's a time to say, "Okay, I've built that. Now I can expand to reach other audiences or reach the same audience with another product or service." So yeah. give us your yeah. best. Give us your <clears throat> best.
1: Definitely, definitely. There. And I think, you know, you you have to reach a certain level of success with one core things. So if you, you know, you have a core item that you are launching, it's not the time to start thinking about writing a book and um, you know, potentially creating another, you know, program that would accompany that all at once. It's gonna be a lot and you're you're gonna dilute your focus and you're not gonna be successful at anything unless you're just super Wonder Woman with amazing multitasking skills. And I don't think there's I just don't think there's any way to do that well when you're first getting started. Yeah. So it's kind of like get the plane off the ground and get, get to at least cruising altitude, you know, where you, you have people in place that are helping things along. Um, the machine is working, you know, you're seeing profit, you're seeing things are, are going in the right direction. And I think at that point, you can also breathe and feel like, okay, I can take something else on now. And I think, you know, the, the writing piece has always been, you know, it's like, it's mandatory for me. It's, it's for my soul. You know, I, I've been writing for um, magazines for, you know, my whole time that I've been an entrepreneur. And that's always been something that I've, I've had going. I have a column in Edible Orange County Magazine. And it's important to me to be able to do that. But the decision to, to write a book was a business decision, too, um, that my advisor suggested that I do in order to establish credibility and really help d- define that, you know, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur, but I am a chef and I am a nutritionist and somebody that wants to give people ideas and help them be healthy in all aspects of their lives so that I could go and speak Um, and I could be on TV and have some credibility and I could, you know, I guess back the talk up a little bit with something that, you know, was published. Um, and then the decision platform, expand my platform for sure. Because, you know, the more, the more you kind of get into it as an entrepreneur, the more you, you know, you want to grow too. You want to, you want your business to grow tentacles and, um, and, and maybe not be seen as just a one trick pony. I never wanted to be defined as just a product line. You know, I wanted Eat Cleaner to be a whole way of life, um, an approach that changed how people live for the better. So those were business decisions, not, not to put me in the limelight, but to grow our business in a way that we couldn't do just by being a product.
0: Yeah. I, I I love the plane analogy um, and you said cruising altitude and it just made me go into a million directions. But it, the, the idea of um, until you're ready to not be the pilot, where you can give that to somebody else to say, I'm going to tell you where to go. I'm going to tell you the altitude in which you should go. I'm going to tell you the speed in which you should go. But you're going to, you're going to take this over. I'm going to go build this next thing. You probably shouldn't try and be, uh, try to manage two planes. Like it seems. No,
1: no, because you have to be realistic about what you can handle, you know, and, and it's important to have balance. You know, I I know that's a funny word for entrepreneurs and people that are thinking out there, well, you said you did the second shift and how did you have balance? (laughs) Yeah. Well, it was, it was a, it was a short term, you know, in the grand scheme of things strategy. I mean, I could not work 18 hours to 22 hours a day normally. Um, that was something that I did for a short period of time. You know, my kids and quality time, I, I started my business partially so that I could go to their games and I could be at their yeah. plays and I could, you know, if I needed to, you know, pick them up from school and take them home if they were sick and not feel guilty. Um, so, you know, as entrepreneurs, we create our our lifestyle so that we can have some flexibility not to create our own prison by overloading ourselves. So I think you also have to be realistic about your priorities and what you value.
0: Yeah, I like that. um, And and, and build your your life around that. Not creating your own prison because I think that is sometimes what ends up happening if we're not mindful as we move forward. We oh, That thing that initially um, that you were talking about early that, you know, sort of had your attention, whether you were, you know, laying in bed, dreaming about it or whatever, it can also be the thing that consume us in a negative way. And so I think there's um, just in a, in a healthy, holistic way, I think it's nice to be mindful or or wise to be mindful of that line. Um, for the sake, yeah, of and i I us agree and the people and I, in our lives,
1: yeah, well, and I think the boundaries part is really important too, because I think it's very easy to say yes to everything, especially when you're first getting started. You know, you want to do everything, you want to be everywhere, you want to be at that you know event, you want to yeah. be um you know, talking to these people, you want to be at that mixer. But then you get to a point where you really do need to start evaluating opportunities and how much time it's taking and where you need to go and what is that taking away from? And, you know, I I sort of have, I I go through a little, you know, crude matrix. I'll say, what are the, the pluses and minuses of being here or doing that? And what is that taking me away of and away from? And And start to be a little bit more prudent with your own time because your time is your biggest asset. And if you're doing something, you're taking away from something that's else. Right.
0: That's right. I like that you do that, that matrix. And I think that's something that a lot of us can do. While, while you're giving out tips on some of the things that you uh, that you do and that you implement in your day to day, what other things, whether it's a habit or an app or an online platform, are you incorporating into your days, your weeks, your year? What are some of the things that you can pass along to us? Um,
1: I cannot live without my phone. Um, it is my organizer. You know, I, I use, I use memos to remind myself of things. I use the calendar religiously. If it's not on my calendar, it's not getting done, basically.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, um, I'm, I'm transitioning into that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I use, I use Google Docs to share documents with people. Um, like for my book writing, I use, I use, uh, Google as a platform. I think it's, powerful and and really easy for everybody to use, no matter if you're a PC or a, a, a Mac person. Um, I, you know, just habits in terms of my day-to-day, like my exercise time is non-negotiable.
0: Is it really, in the morning or at night or when do you do it's,
1: that? It's almost always early in the morning. I have a couple days a week that I do evenings, but I have calendar it. So mm-hmm. it's on my calendar and... You know, my kids know if I don't do it, like mommy's going to be in a bad, bad, bad (laughs) mood. So like this morning I was boxing at 545 in the morning. Like Uh most days I'm up early before they get up and then home, you know, to take my son to school, get him breakfast and all of that good stuff. And it just, it sets the tone for your day in a way that nothing else can. So I think scheduling that time for you is really, really critical and should be protected with your life. Um, and then, you know, food. I, I always bring my food to work. I never go out to eat. Um, we're big meal prep people. So we meal prep on the weekends and usually one time during the week. So I have my meals, you know, packed and I'll, I'll take a, a few minutes to eat, you know, but I, I don't rely on going out because that stresses me out. <laughs>
0: Yeah,
1: I find that If I have to go forage for food and think, you know, where am I going to go and is it going to be clean? And yeah, that just adds more stress to my life. So taking ownership of my food is really something that I enjoy doing and take pride in and it, it makes my life easier. So food and exercise are definitely important. And then prayer time, yeah. you know, um, having, you know, whether it's prayer or meditation or that just moment of where you're you're practicing your, your act of gratitude yeah. and um, being thankful for the gifts that we have and, you know, setting your intentions for the day and asking for guidance is a huge part of my morning. So, you know, those, those three help to get me going on the right foot every day.
0: Those are some good things. I think you're kind of done, like you wrapped it up for us. <laughs> those are awesome. I wanted to ask if you had a meal prep tool that you use? Because that's a big one for anybody with a really busy lifestyle, but for sure for entrepreneurs and also when they're in cost savings mode, because maybe they're spending a lot of their money um, on their business. Any Is there a calendar that you suggest or... Um, Something that we, anything, I don't want to, I don't want to lead. Well, we, we actually have a program. (laughs) How funny. (laughs) Fancy
1: that. Um, we, and, and part of the reason that I created it was because we were getting questions from a lot of people saying, well, what do you do? How Mm -hmm. do you keep it all together? Um, we created a macronutrient balanced meal plan, um, really simple recipes, really delicious. Is it on the website, Moran? And it's on our website. Yep. Where at eatcleaner.com. is com. It? It's uh it's on it's in our shopping cart. Okay. Uh, so, so it's is the it under meal products? It's under products, the eat cleaner meal prep club.
0: Oh, okay. I don't and, see it. Wait, I'm a, I'm I really want our people to know this. So I'm in products. I say eat cleaner products. Do I go there? Meal
1: yeah, it's in the products. It's called the meal prep club. You could go into the search. Okay and find it okay. uh if it's if you're not seeing it um i think it's on the second
0: page okay so if you go to the second is. page i just want people um, to we also directed. have
1: resources you know we have a free 5-day meal planning uh video series that people can find um on our website that helps to lay out you know the tools that you need and um, some quick ideas for meals. So if you're not ready to completely bite off the meal prep program, you can go through that free five-day video series.
0: Okay. And, and that again, I think I just found that under videos, but Elizabeth's going to find all these links so that you guys can go directly to the show notes and link over because those are some great tools. I, I'm excited myself to check some of them out. Um, yeah, I
1: think I my, just my motto in general is, you know, have a plan. Yeah. I think we need, you know, whatever you're doing, having a plan for your day and your week is just so important. It doesn't have to be so regimented, but having a general idea and having some good habits in place just keep you in line.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And,
1: You know, I think when you're an entrepreneur, all of a sudden you get to portion your life out versus somebody else doing it for you. So it's even that much more important to have some structure.
0: Yeah. There was something else you said I just wanted to hit on when you talked about um, prayer or meditation and just... Um, having a a moment, uh, you know, to, to be grateful and uh, list your, the things that you are grateful for. And I think we hear a lot about that right now. We hear about keeping a gratitude journal and things like that. But I I think one of the things that I have found a real value in doing that um, is when life feels complicated and full and when you are pursuing your own venture, it tends to impact that complicated (laughs) sort of uh, opportunity for complication. Um, I think it's nice to just have a moment where you can go through the day and identify the wins and be grateful for them. You can identify even where there was failure and say, I'm, I'm thankful that that happened and it won't happen again, or that I learned that. Um, it can be really easy, especially when you're a solopreneur, uh, to, to get sucked into all the things that aren't happening. And I like right. that you're reminding us that that act is an important one, or that activity is an important one. And then just being open to Uh, To listening and to receiving kind of uh, what next steps could be and or, or just to take the moment to be peaceful, to just to just sit and be still with that. Because, again, I think that's something that we don't naturally create time for and we have to. We have to carve that out. And so I thank you for reminding us the importance of that and and to take that time. What is one piece of entrepreneurial advice you'd like to leave our listener with? What's if I said, okay, what what's a one sentence phrase, Maria, that you could just say, here you go, all you entrepreneurial women listening, I want you to know this.
1: Keep breathing. Hmm. You know, I think we tend to hold our breath, just kind of piggybacking on what you just said. We tend to hold our breath and the music is made by not only the beats, but the pauses between the beats. So as maybe things aren't going exactly the way you thought, just allow the music to play and keep breathing through it and try not to overreact. Try and really kind of take that, that pause, that the pause between the beat to think through things. And your your instinct and your general, uh, you know, knowledge, your ability, you know, your true north will shine. Yeah. And uh, we just need to give ourselves a little bit more credit and not, you know, not think the sky is falling. Um, there have been plenty of times even going through something right now where it seems like, oh my gosh, how am I going to get through this? You'll get through it. Yeah. Just keep breathing.
0: Yeah. All right. Thank you for that. Keep breathing. Hashtag hashtag keep breathing advice. We'll we'll pass (laughs) that along on our Instagram. Okay. Before (laughs) we let you go, we do this fun little thing at the end of each of our um, uh, podcast sessions where I ask you six questions. We call it our quick six. And just tell me the first thing that comes to mind. So do you prefer a nine to five or a flex schedule?
1: Flex for sure,
0: and I don't know that we've ever had an entrepreneur say nine to five. Um, <laughs> Mount, I was do, gonna
1: say, does anybody? No, say that?
0: So we have some that say a little bit of both. Like they like some structure, but they like the flex schedule too. Um, yeah. Do you prefer vacationing in the mountains, in the mountains, or on the beach? Oh I know gosh. this is a trick for you because you're Southern California, but your roots are Colorado, I know, so no I know I'm gonna say the mountains okay, and then do you prefer to work from home or an office? in an office, okay, and work alone or work with a team with a team and I think this is the hardest one Thai or Mexican food oh. <laughs> You're killing me right now. <laughs> you picked two of my favorites, I know, right? Yeah, I
1: live in Southern California. Like that is the diet. Mexican food is a diet, it's but true. I I love Thai. Does it have to be oh. spicy? All right, I'm just gonna say it.
0: Mexican, Thai. Oh yes, yes. I'm so happy. I'm say we're getting thai. so many Mexican um, votes back to back. So I'm glad you said it. Now, does it need to be spicy or not necessarily?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Spicy. Okay. Like, like I want to feel my pores open up
0: and my head tingle. Uh, Yeah, I'm with you. I'm absolutely with you. And then um, the name of this podcast is Liberty Sessions, and the name of our company is Liberty. Our URL is Liberty for Her. We're sort of obsessed with that word. And so we have to ask you, what does it mean for you to be liberated?
1: Hmm. My parents immigrated to this country to give us freedom. Mm -hmm. And so for me, liberty is, it's a, um, it's a, it's the ability to do whatever you were put on this earth and designed to do. And it is the ultimate to have that freedom. I think we take that for granted a lot because so many people don't have that ability and i honor my parents every day that they made that sacrifice for mm. us so it means a lot to me as an immigrant and um being free is something that i um i value and never take for granted
0: well thank you for helping us to to or reminding us what it means to be liberated for so many of us and thank you to your parents and i, I want your dad i wish i wish we had this available to him on his birthday to hear you say that because what a what <laughs> He's a He's going to hear thing. it and I'm going to tell him all about it. <laughs> um, thank you so much, Maria, for sharing thank your you, time Nada. with us. And again, Liberty listeners, all these amazing uh, tips and show notes will be available for you um, on libertyforher.com. And until next week, we'll see you guys later. Take care. Bye. Liberty Sessions is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review Liberty Sessions on Apple Podcast. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping you to launch and grow your own ventures. You can also find us every day on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, at Liberty For Her. And please leave a comment using the hashtag Liberty Sessions. We want to hear your thoughts, suggestions, and brilliant ideas. Liberty Sessions is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Wyndham and music by Jordan Flower.